Hey, this is Max from the Arkells, and you're listening to Underground Sports Philadelphia. going on everybody we are live with underground sports philadelphia episode number 199 kyle bennett matt castrina coming to you from underground studios as always show brought to you by main auto llc ducharms pro foot security 21 wainwright bernhardt funeral home paul j gillespie incorporated bob novick auto mall mark ronchetti cpa llc and the dental wellness center of Vineland. First Saturday of 2020. What's going on, Matt? Not much, you know. Just living the dream. Sixers are currently living a dreadful nightmare as uh, they dropped another game to the Rockets last night. James Harden just absolutely doing James Harden things. And Al Horford continues to struggle. And the voices and yelling to get Al Horford out of here. Uh, continue to get louder and louder. Yes, and it's uh, it's kind of reaching a boiling point now for people, uh, not even just with Horford, with, with Brett Brown. He's been, in the past week, identified as the, uh, the big change that needs to happen and that, you know, Elton Brand needs to not only fire Brett Brown, but, yeah, keep an eye on Al Horford's trade value going uh, into this next month. And... You know, I, I I see myself as usually more optimistic, you know, when it comes especially to the Sixers, but it's definitely been hard this past week kind of uh, rationalizing a lot of this and, and making your peace with it, but um, ultimately I'm not sure that <clears throat> trading out Warford, trying Brett Brown are really the solutions to any kind of problem, and um, I think, you know, obviously Horford has not played well. There's no there's no debating that. And um, the team hasn't responded the way that you want them to, which I think falls uh, partly on Brett Brown's shoulders. But, you know, there's lots of other issues with this team that I think uh, certain Twitter hives don't really want to talk about. Uh, the fact that Mike Scott has made one three-pointer in his last four games is uh, not great. <laughs> um, the fact that we've obviously been playing again. Everyone seems to keep forgetting this. We've had Thibel out for really this entire bad stretch, um, which I know Thibel, you know, if we're living and dying by a rookie guard's, uh, you know, health, then that's not a good situation. But I do think he does help, especially that second unit defensively. Not having him out there, I think, has been uh, has been not great. Obviously, we missed James Ennis last night as well. So already at what has been a slumping and already not a great bench to begin with, then has an even heavier load against a Rockets team that's going to exploit that. So, you know, there's all kinds of mitigating factors that go into this, but good teams find ways out of this slump and don't really go on like four or five games kids like the Sixers are right now and you're kind of just waiting on your your hands waiting for them to to kind of snap out of it almost it feels like this has been um yeah like you said kind of a bad dream and it doesn't it, this really doesn't feel like the Sixers team that we'd seen for most of this season and 
Um, even defensively, this team has not been great uh, this entire losing stretch. They've been uncharacteristically bad on defense, um, which, you know, we were talking about this being one of the better defenses uh, in the league, you know, top five, top three in most categories. And they've really regressed in that regard as well in this past week and a half. So I don't know. I don't know what the the issue is. I don't know what even the solution is, really. I, I, I don't think that Again, trading Al Horford, I don't, I don't know that that really gets you where you want to be. That feels like um, just kind of a reactionary thing right now that people are kind of, you know, really spearheading. And I don't think firing Brett Brown also is really going to find you the solution that you're looking for. But they're, you know, this team certainly needs to turn it around. There's absolutely no question about that. Yeah, I mean, it is still early January, but it is now, you know, the turn of the calendar. And as we approach February, like it's, it's going to end up in that kind of Philly's realm where it was like, oh, you know, it's still May, like, it's Memorial Day, we're good, and then August comes around, and the struggling is still occurring for the Phillies, and we're like, oh, we, we're still, you know, in it, we're in the hunt, we're in the wild card, we're good, and then just completely fall out of it. Obviously, we don't expect the Sixers to completely fall out of the playoffs, but for them to be right now in the sixth seed in the East is not the greatest look. No, it's not. And, you know, I, I've talked all along that I think this team is still a great playoff team. But, you know, if you're the sixth seed, you're making your road that much harder in uh, the Eastern Conference where it's already going to be difficult. We already know the playoffs are going to be a, a big, big challenge for everyone, not even just the Sixers. Every every team that's in the top six in the East is going to have a really, really hard path to the finals this year. It's sort of been a, a weird switch where this is typically what you say of the Western Conference in the NBA where – uh, you know, like you're you're really fighting and scrapping in these top seeds, and now yeah, the East has sort of uh, switched and, and risen to a, a greater strength. Yeah, the you know again, there's no question that the Sixers need to turn it around, but um, you know I I don't I, again I just don't know that trading Al Horford is that fix. I I really don't, and I think part of like the negative reaction comes from the fact that there's been so much discussion and discourse about this team. Like this is this is especially within the fan base, like such a well covered and such a like there there's we've had like every discussion under the sun about this team and I think you know you have like all these factions of different kind of ideologies within the Sixers fan base, let alone what the NBA you know at large thinks of the Sixers, and whenever things are good you know certain groups of people are much more vocal whenever things are bad certain groups of people are much more vocal like and that's because of what they believe and it's been reinforced by years of you know uh, evidence or, or conclusions that they've drawn so i think that's that's also an issue too is that you know fans are getting upset and you know you have someone like me who's like well you know this obviously sucks i don't like watching the sixers lose but i'm not sure that you know, we need to be hitting the panic button right now. I, I really don't. Um, but then people who, you know, want to trade to Olympiad. <laughs> um, and I mean, that's not even like, a, you know, sometimes when you say things like that, it's like, oh, um, you know, Philly fan for life 29 on Twitter you know, four for four for four. Egg once, profile picture. Egg profile pick or the one of like all four team yeah. logos, you know, with the skyline is like, yeah, trade Embiid. You know, like when someone like that says it's like, all right, whatever. But when you have like, you know, verified NBA people, verified Sixers people talking about this kind of stuff and legitimizing it, that's when it's like, oh, you're stupid. <laughs> oh, okay. I understand now. Um, yeah, Embiid has all of a sudden become um, a fraud. I, I don't know. 
where that's come from. Um, it's almost a switch. It's almost a switch from what people would say about Ben. I was saying about Embiid now. I don't know. It's, it's because Ben had a good game last night, and you know, I mean, were like, Ben's been pretty absolutely. good on yeah. <laughs> this entire stretch here. I mean, Ben's actually had a pretty good season overall. Like, sure, there's there hasn't been maybe the growth you're looking for, but I don't know that you could say Ben's been bad. No. It, it's the, it's the same issues that we've had with this team since. Ben and Joel started playing together, which is that they're not a great fit. And, um, you know, when you lose someone like Jimmy Butler, when you lose J.J. Redick, we knew offensively this team was going to have some issues. There was going to be some clunkiness. And, you know, we were hoping that defensively, that that was, you know, the steps and leaps we were going to make defensively would mitigate what we were going to be losing offensively. And I think for most of the season that's been true. We're in a stretch now where even, you know, guys on the bench that you're you're hoping and paying to be hitting, you know, at, at a, an NBA level aren't doing that. And that's that's where you get in these slumps. And um, I, I would encourage people, I think, just to remain positive about the Sixers. And again, I like... I've I've been in this entire season just wondering where so much of this negativity comes from. I I get when the team is losing like this, and you have Embiid saying that he's you know it's wearing on him. He hates losing, um, and you have like all these post game you know comments that are certainly you know give anyone reason to be upset. But I I it just it, it has felt like a powder keg this entire season, waiting for just an explosion and and waiting for people to. To, to latch on to any kind of negativity and that's that's where we're at right now where this team is skidding and um they're not cutting the wheel properly and we're about to go into a telephone pole you talk about Embiid uh and his post-game comments and just all he wants to do is win this was Embiid after last night's game against the Rockets and to me he just sounded absolutely just lifeless if it's not taking a toll on anybody, I, I care about winning. It is taking a toll on me. Um, you know, all I care about is winning. Um, I don't, it sucks. Um, you gotta find a way. I guess we gotta keep fighting. And just his body language as he's kind of delivering that to the media was not encouraging, I'd say. Um, he and B just does not seem like he's having fun this year whatsoever. I mean, it all goes back to that Carl Anthony Towns uh, feud, and since then he has been uh, a little bit of out of character. I don't know, like you know, he's also answering a question on a night where they've lost their their fourth or fourth in a row on the road. Now they kind of got handled by Houston. Like he didn't personally have a great night either. Like. He's obviously, you wouldn't expect him to be Chipper and Jerry either. Um, I think largely Embiid's been relatively the same person. I think some of the stuff with him has been overblown. A lot of that having to do with that one interview he gave where he said that, oh, maybe they're right when they say I need to focus more or whatever. Largely, he's been the same kind of character. He hasn't been as boisterous, which is ultimately, I think, good. I think if, if he is going to reel himself in a little bit, that's, I think, for the better. But, yeah, you wouldn't expect any athlete in any situation to be like super pumped about losing um again you know two straight games too where the Sixers really weren't in it either uh you know the the, the Rockets really pulled away at, at, you know after the half and it was I wouldn't say it was uncompetitive but uh we were certainly being held at arm's length last night and that's that's not a great feeling so I don't know you know it it's definitely uh not good what you want is the response and what you want is honestly Ben's response Ben has been Again, like the the lighthouse during these very troubled times this last week, by the way, for the Sixers. It's only been a week <laughs> where we've been dealing with this. Um, 
And I think his response has been great, where he has, I think, stepped it up a level. I think he's been playing very well, and that's the kind of thing you want from Embiid. And, and personally, I respect, uh, I expect him to have that kind of response in the next few games. But um, yeah, you know, and, and we even talked about, you know, where that leadership, where where it's all going to pull from. And um, you had mentioned Ben, and I think certainly in terms of his performances, he's been there. Like I, I don't think anyone can question his. You know his resolve now and and what what he cares about you know there's been all kinds of questions about does he actually really like basketball and all this other stuff um you know and i don't think you can question that now i think this would be the time that if you were going to cave in and, and just kind of implode it would be uh, during this season so far but yeah i mean and ultimately too the sixers are still in a, a relatively decent spot now they're going to had a lot of ground to make up in the east considering this this you know losing streak that they're on but it's certainly not like they've completely fallen out of it now. They're, they're going to be a playoff team regardless. I, I think, uh, you know, everyone just needs to, again, get some of this perspective and, um, you know, hopefully this team turns it around. And you you expect them to. Like, I may be, you know, really hating myself for saying this. The team isn't going to lose, like, you know, 10 games in a row. Like, at, at some point this is going to turn around. You know, again, some of some of these issues have been down to shooting, and you know, just naturally through a season, you're gonna have guys you know go through slumps. We were talking a month ago how everyone was shooting like 43% from three on this team. I was like, okay, well, this is unsustainable. Like, we're gonna hit a point where we're, we're also gonna go through a bit of you know a, a dry spell, and it's gonna get a little difficult. And I think we're in that situation now. And again, where you have Thibel out. That's your one of your brightest bench pieces that you know, frankly, isn't playing, um, and that you know you missed James Ennis again last night, and he's been you know, relatively inconsistent this year. Mike Scott has had a, a pretty brutal stretch now, um, you know, like that's that's just kind of what you have to deal with, and those are the things that are going to happen during a regular season. I I just question how some people live through the process era, um, if you know they hate losing like this much like a four game losing streak was great back then like that was like oh that's the thing most of these you know people that are watching the Sixers now were not watching the Sixers when they were losing now that they're good they're you know tuned in and have no idea you know that a stretch like this sometimes is just normal you know like you have guys go through these cold spells you have four game losing streaks and a lot of these fans were not watching the Sixers back in 2014 and, you know, 2013 when they just started intentionally losing. They were not around for the 10-win season. Yeah, and I mean, you know, obviously now the uh, expectations of this team has changed and, and, and things are different now, but, you know, I like... I don't know. I just I I've always been someone that doesn't get bothered too much by the Sixers regular season. I, I think it's um, one thing we've learned over really this entire decade is that regular season performance, to an extent, does not matter all that much in the playoffs. Um, and if you have a great team, if you have top level talent, you can still win a championship. Now, again, though, you will make your road harder if you go into the playoffs as a six seed, which is why the Sixers need to gain some of this ground back and and be more consistent and um, you know. That's that's where the the change has to come. But again, you know, like, I think people talk so much about making these big wholesale changes to the team when they're going on a, on a bit of a losing streak. And it's like, did you think that a week and a half ago when we had just beaten the Bucks that we needed to fire Brett Brown, that we needed to trade? No, you didn't, because you're kind of just being a prisoner of the moment. Not even kind of. You are being a prisoner of the moment, and not. You, like you need to have this broader perspective of what this team is and yes like in an ideal world 
we probably don't even sign Al Horford this summer, right? And yes, if we could trade him and get better value, of course. We also have to think of the implications and what that does to you as a team. And then again, Brett Brown, who I think has had the toughest job in basketball um, because he had to go from, okay, you're developing young players, trying to find some diamonds in the rough and, and develop them and grow them as people, by the way, too, because they're all 19, 20 years old. Um, some of them are going to have injury problems that you're going to have to deal with and, and kind of work through. Okay, by the way, now you have to flip the switch. You're competitive. You have to win a championship now. He has seen and been under every kind of uh, experience you can have as, as an NBA coach. Now, he didn't have those you know, lean years where you're like a 7th, 8th seed. He kind of, again, went straight from non-competitive team to you are a contender now. Make it work. And also, every season you're going to have a different roster. And then one season you're going to have three different rosters. Like... It's just like you can't forget the last three years just because this team lost four straight games. Right. And, like, I, I don't know what to tell you. And, and again, I feel like this entire season has not been as bad as it has been built. I just it, it's, it's uh, so confusing to me to hear people talk about this season and, like, it's been some train wreck when it ha- just frankly hasn't. It just has not been. This has been, a ve- up until this past week, has been a very good season for the Sixers. They, they, they've been very competitive. It's not like years past where, you know, they were beating the Hornets but could not beat the Celtics, right? Could not beat the Raptors. Could not beat the Bucks. Could not even beat, you know, like LeBron's Cavs. Like, th- that was more frustrating for me. Now it's kind of a little bit the opposite. And, you know, this past week we've obviously lost to some contenders, but... We're beating the good teams. We've we've done that this year. We've shown that we can be extremely competitive, and that when it comes down to it, this team is going to be able to lock guys down. And and people are throwing fits. And again, we knew all of this coming into the season. Like nothing that has happened so far has truly shocked me with this team. I, I'm not shocked that Horford is having a, a difficult year, right? Because anytime you spend that kind of money on someone his age, it's always a risk in any sport, not even just basketball, in any sport. Someone someone with that much, you know... We've gone through it twice here. DeMarco Murray in 2015, right <laughs> after he won the rushing title, was run into the ground by the Cowboys, and we're experiencing it in real time with the Phillies right now with Jake Arrieta. It's, it's not shocking to me. I'm not like, oh, okay... Horford has regressed. That out of left field. If Ben or Joel regressed, yes, that's then out of left. Panicking. Then we're panicking. Then that's not according to whatever idea that I had coming into the season. But I'm not. I'm not shocked that Horford is having a less than stellar year. I didn't love giving him the 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 terms that we did, but you know that was the the hand we were dealt, and we all accepted that in August. You don't get to. You get to maybe say, oh. I think we can make steps to change this, but we we all agreed we all agreed that the Sixers did what they what they absolutely could do at its best during that time when 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 Jimmy Butler was not going to resign that they did the best thing that they could possibly do with what they had. You don't get to renege on that now. You don't get to say, oh well, you know, I think they should have done this. No, we we all talked about it. We all agreed. It was very unanimous that the Sixers had done the best they could. We didn't. We weren't in love with it, but it was the best they could have done given the circumstances. And I I don't know what to tell you. Like, it just feels like there the, the, there are some people that 
almost want this team to be bad because it reaffirms whatever belief they've been, you know, tweeting about for the past year or three or five about this team and about its direction. And they're almost happier when this team is losing because it reaffirms that belief. It, it reintegrates their idea of, oh, well, I told you, I told you this team is bad. I told you that Ben and Joel can't work. Ben and Joel have worked, and it's just it's mind-numbing to me. This team was so great last year, even, and and was a, a, a on the wrong end of a historically shot from going to a conference finals potentially. And from there, we've we've seen the team matches up with the Bucks. Well, you could have been in the finals last. You could have won a championship last year, right? Now, obviously, they didn't, right? But like. It, it, I don't know. Like the, the the margins now are just still so small and so thin that I, I think the door is wide open for ten teams to win a championship this year. And the Sixers are still on that list. Like this past week, again, week has not deterred me from my belief that this is a great team. It just hasn't. I don't know. Al Horford, obviously, we we talked about, has struggled though during this four game losing streak, uh, and even going back to the Milwaukee game, still wasn't exactly great. But during the four game losing streak, he's put up uh, lines of seven four and five against Orlando, seven four and one against Miami in the overtime game, uh, five three and two on New Year's Eve against the Pacers, and then last night against the Rockets, seven eight and two. Would you consider? benching Al Horford for a game or two to kind of just like get his mind right maybe yes but here's one of the issues with that uh Kylo Quinn has not been great um you signed Horford with this idea that one of his greatest strengths was going to be allowing you to stagger the lineups a little bit more and by the way for all the talk about how terrible Al Horford has been yes he's had a below average year for the year He's averaging 12.2 points, 6.5 rebounds, and 3.7 assists. He's shot the ball a lot more poorly than he has in his career, which is certainly not great. But you're talking about, like, two points less than his career average, two rebounds less, a slightly higher assist, which is not shocking considering now he's playing next to Joel Embiid. Like, the the regression that everyone is talking about with Horford, I think, makes a absolute crap ton of sense when you consider now that he's never been on a team with a dominant big man next to him and with Ben Simmons who also is essentially a dominant big man <laughs> like it, it, it again it just it blows my mind just the, the 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 space that we're in where we're talking about Horford this way and yes again I'm not making the case that Horford has been amazing like he's been this greatly hugely impactful player and wow what a great signing but he also has not been nearly as bad as people are making him out to be and that's that's been the story of the Sixer season so far it's like you know it, it hasn't been maybe the most awe-inspiring experience of my life I, I'm not blessed every day to watch this team and wow revolutionary stuff but at the same time it, this team doesn't suck either like some people might make you believe I, I don't know like there, there's there's still lots to be positive about and I think just so much of this I think has has frankly just been blown out of proportion I, I really do and you even talk about Mike Scott who we know has struggled um, you know shooting the three pretty much hasn't had a dynamic game since that December 12th game against Boston but you look at the you know three-point percentage he's shooting right now he's shooting 38.3 percent which is just below or just above uh, his career average, two from three. Granted, you do want more from Mike Scott because he doesn't give you much else, you know, in terms of just versatility and everything. But Mike Scott is like one or two games away 
from, you know, just having, you know, those typical Mike Scott three-point games from being right back on track. And I think it's just it happening right now while Al Horford is struggling, while this team has lost four in a row, everything is just getting put under a magnifying glass. Yes, and it, part of that comes with when you're a contender. The expectations are higher, and you know, typically you don't see championship contenders lose four straight games and kind of look with this malaise, but I just, um, I don't know. I, I, it's, just, it's just been really hard, uh, even like opening Twitter uh, when games are on, because I just know, I, I seen people tweeting like, oh, I missed last year's team. I uh, All this stuff for like, you know, uh, talking about you know three and a half years ago. Here's the assets we had available to us. What would you do differently? And it's like Jesus Christ, man! Like we are in January. Like it's just sickening. It, it, it's like get a hold of yourselves. Like where's your like where's your bladder control? Where's your spine? Like seriously, like it's just it's embarrassing. Like yeah, you know. What? I don't love losing four straight games, but at the same time, like I'm not gonna sit here. I, I feel like every year I say this, I'm gonna sit here and cry about a loss or two or four in January and December when I know that this team's ultimate goal is getting to May and June. If we if we lose four straight in May, then yeah, I'm I'm tight. I'm right there with you. We can we can cry and vent. But Jesus, man, just get a hold of you. Look at yourself in the mirror and say, stop being a bitch. Like we we need much. we we need Mike Scott to say that too. Like because I, I feel like everyone has forgotten that that we're supposed to be no bitches here, but everyone is just complaining, and it's like, oh my god, like I don't know how any I don't know how these people live normal lives no. where this this has just blown them out of just orbit, and they, they cannot function. I miss this. I miss that team. I miss Jimmy Butler. Jesus Christ, get a hold of yourself. Everyone just calm down. I want to slap a bunch of people in the face, give them some aspirin and, and a bottle of water and say, just go to sleep. Give, give yourself a day. Just take a, take a good long rest. I think everyone just needs, next Sixers game, just don't watch it. If if it if if you are if you are missing whatever team, if you're lamenting over shit that happened three and a half years ago, take a break. Just don't watch the next game. It's all good. Put it on in the background. Do something else. Play Angry Birds, whatever it is you're doing. Just just relax. Because it's not that serious either. Like, at the end of the day, I, I, I ultimately, I want the Sixers to win. Sixers winning makes me feel good. When they lose, I don't feel as good. But if your life is being determined and you're lamenting and posting sad boy tweets about the Sixers over the past years, you really need to renegotiate your life. Like, you genuinely do. Because I'm telling you, it's not that serious. It is not that serious. And this is someone that watched the process era Sixers and would stay up late to watch them. Like, I'm okay with the fact that the team is going to lose some games. You should be too. Because it's okay. <laughs> And it's all going to be okay. And by the way, you don't get to send these tweets in January and get on the float in June. You don't, because I, I we, we the will remember. Have been kept. When you when you tweet it, it gets saved. Even if you delete them, there are ways. Relax. Save them. <laughs> Everyone just needs to relax. Screenshots live forever. forever. Uh, Sixers get back after you at home. They come back from this four-game road trip on Monday to take on the Oklahoma City Thunder. A team this that is uh, notoriously notoriously been a thorn in this franchise's side for quite some time now, uh, and then obviously on Thursday they host the Celtics before they go back out on the road for two. They should beat the Thunder, but we know how this team plays against the Thunder, and this is a Thunder team that doesn't even have Russell Westbrook, who was a 
almost net positive for the Sixers against Houston with every missed dunk that he had. Uh, thoughts on this upcoming game, and thankfully it's at home. That's the big big mark here is that it's at home. The Sixers have struggled a lot on the road. Um, I, I, I think you know, I think this should have all the makings of a big win. Um, you have the weekend off to, I think, kind of get everyone back. You know, obviously probably back in Philadelphia today, everyone, and um, just get everyone back in the right headspace. And this is this is genuinely where I think this team is going to show us it's kind of, you know, not to get cliche, but show us kind of its true colors and show us a little bit of the mentality of this Sixers team and where they're at because um, great teams bounce back well. Again, it's another cliche of, like, you know, champions, you know, it's all about how they respond from a loss. And, um, frankly, we haven't seen good responses from any of these losses. I, I think the only one you could say was that Miami game. Um you know, on a, on a back-to-back, going to a very tough opponent and, and losing in overtime. There's no real, there's no real issue with that for me personally. So you, you have to it really. It, it's not a back against the wall type of situation, but the Sixers have to show us something um, because another loss, by the way, is like not going to be good. I think some of this is helpful. It, it's been helpful that you know we've had kind of games every two or three days. Um, but I mean, if if this kind of caps off with you know, a, a long weekend, especially if the Eagles don't perform well on Sunday, and then the next day the Sixers lose to the Thunder at home, uh, you are going to have a, a pretty, frankly, ugly scenario on your hands in terms of, uh, like, I think Philly fans' like mindsets, uh, especially during the Sixers. Sixers will get a lot of that heat, uh, especially if the Eagles are not successful this weekend. Before we talk about the Eagles, uh, got to talk about our friends over at Design Tree. They put in the absolute work for us yesterday as uh, Kyle Brandt went on a absolutely incredible rant on Good Morning Football, which we will play for you, uh, and Design Tree in two hours like that cooked up a brand new Eagles playoff shirt for us. The Wolf of Broad Street is available in our Design Tree storefront as well as High Season. Uh, you can get the On the Road to Victory shirt as well as all of our other shirts. That gritty design that sits behind Matt every single show is available in shirt and hoodies. A uh, whole bunch of good stuff. So it's dsgentry.com. Search Underground Sports Philadelphia. And you can still use that promo code HOLIDAYS for 20% off your order at checkout. Kyle Brandt on Good Morning Football. Notorious for uh, being a big Eagles supporter, big Doug Peterson supporter. Uh, made his voice heard to Eagles fans. And uh, this was what... Kyle Brandt had to say about the Eagles taking on the Seahawks. Do you remember this? Yes. Do you remember the dogs? Dogs were a long time ago. The dogs are done with. I'm done. This Eagles team, they are not dogs. They're not. I hate to break it to you, they're not. This Eagles team is hungrier. They are smarter. They are survivors. This Eagles team, they're not dogs. They're wolves. And this man, This man right here is the alpha of the pack. This Super Bowl winning human statue is the Wolf of Broad Street. (laughs) Okay. And you know what the Wolf of Broad Street hears? Get out of here. You're very 2017. You don't have stars. We want to talk about Marshawn. We've moved on to Lamar. We love Garoppolo. We want to talk about Mahomes. You don't even deserve to be here. Hosting a playoff game, you shouldn't even be in one. It's the worst division of all time. 
So just lie down, die, and get the hell out of here. We're done with you. So what's the Wolf of Broad Street going to say to his team on Sunday? Okay. When he looks at these guys. <laughs> oh, my gosh. These veterans who he has sweat with. Let's go, Leo. Bled with. Okay. What's the Wolf of Broad Street going to say? You know what? I'm not leaving. Okay. I'm not leaving. I'm not bleeping leaving! Yeah! yeah! The show goes yeah! The playoffs are my home! Yeah! They're gonna need a wrecking ball to take me out of here! They can send in the Seahawks, the Saints, Santa, and the freaking National Guard! Cause we ain't going nowhere! Birds 31, Hawks 20, see you in San Francisco! Let's go! Kyle Brandt is an absolute legend, and he has a spot on our show whenever he's available because we know he's one of the hardest working men in sports. But I don't know about you. It got me pumped up. I talked to uh, our Seahawks insider on Eagles Enemies that went up today in your podcast feeds, Michael Sean Dugar, yesterday. And uh, Seahawks pretty much banged up as well on the defensive side of things. Davion Clowney. They're calling it a core muscle injury. Uh, Mike informed me that he is dealing with a sports hernia. So Know all about that one. <laughs> we know all about that all too well. Uh, but he's going to play through it, which is absolutely insane. Uh, Ziggy Ansa is not 100%. Quandre Diggs, who they traded for at the trade deadline from the Detroit Lions, is going to play, but he's not 100%. So the Seahawks defense, not great. And he also dubbed that the Seahawks defensive line is just bad. They're not what you'd expect from a Seahawks defensive line, mostly due to injuries and just underperforming. But uh, this morning, Derek Gunn from NBC Sports Philadelphia reported Lane Johnson is out on Sunday. Big blow there. Um, But the plan is if the Eagles do end up winning against the Seahawks, Lane Johnson is expected to play in the divisional round, which, you know, you win, that's a great sign because then you'd get Lane Johnson and Deshaun Jackson back potentially. Uh, but you got to take care of business this week first. And, you know, I think there's a, a real possibility for this Eagles team to go out and, and win. Absolutely. Uh, there's <coughs> – I don't think there's any reason other than to just be optimistic uh, about this team. Um They've, I think, I'll be honest, proven me wrong over the past month. I, I did not give them much of a chance at the end of November of, of making the playoffs. Um, but they, they did what they had to do. And again, you know, we, we see this a lot in sports where the, the team that goes into the playoffs with, with kind of a, a good streak, maybe a little bit hot, and, and carrying some of that in, uh, can can make some noise. Eagles did a very similar thing last year. And... Um, you know, we, we were all very, very buzzed about it. So it's not inconceivable for this team to, to do something like this, to, to go out it and make some noise and um, win. You know, like, I, I, I would not be shocked. The positive on the injury report, though, outside of obviously Nelson Aguilar being ruled out and then today Lane Johnson being ruled out. Everybody that was limited earlier this week, so Derek Barnett, Fletcher Cox, Cindy Jones, Avante Maddox, Jalen Mills, and Miles Sanders. And Miles Sanders, actually, the news broke while we were recording Eagles Enemies, so you got a little bit of breaking news there. They're all full participants in practice as of Friday, so they are good to go. The crazier part is Zach Ertz is listed as questionable. With a lacerated kidney, a rib injury, 
Uh, he's been wearing a flak jacket uh, in practice. I love the the flak jacket scene. I love that. And uh, the fact that he is questionable blows my mind, one. But two, I mean, if he is able to go and is, is you know healthy enough to play, that's a huge boost for this Eagles offense. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, again, even if he's out there just as almost a decoy where you're getting, you know, 10, 15 snaps out of him, uh, that's that's a, a very high-value target that the Seahawks are going to have to pay attention to. And, you know, they obviously have a, a little bit of uh, injury problems, even if guys are playing. Frankly, everyone at this stage of the season is playing through right. some type of injury. No one is completely healthy. Like, Miles Sanders is fully participating. Guarantee you his ankle is not at 100%. Um, and it's the, the and same. he even said that. He said, I'm not 100%, but I'm good enough to go. Exactly. And then that's the stage that pretty much everyone is at at this stage of the season. Um, and, you know, yeah, if Zach Gertz can give you anything, I, I think it's a positive. Do you expect, though, for him to have any kind of real meaningful performance? Very unlikely. But um, it's strange to say, but the Eagles are in a position where they don't, they obviously could use Zach Ertz to be fully healthy, but you also don't feel that it's uh, as big of a problem as it would be if this happened, say, three weeks ago, where you have no Zach Ertz, um, because you've had guys, frankly, step up when when they've needed to. And Dallas Goddard has looked like a top 10 tight end in the NFL. He's he's made great plays, big catches. Greg Ward has been absolutely outstanding, and Miles Sanders as well has been someone you could expect to, to really care load. Boston Scott's been great. You're going to have Jordan Howard back as well. Like, you you now all of a sudden kind of have a, a little bit of a resurgence in the past few weeks that could handle the load now of, of missing Zach Ertz in the offense. But it's it would still be a big hole if he's not even at all going to be able to go. But even if he is just out there for only you know a few plays every here and there, it's still going to be a, a loss for the Eagles. But yeah, I, I think you can you know kind of reevaluate it and reintegrate now better than you could have you say this time in December yeah and you look at you know everybody being all systems go I think that's a positive sign that we do see some sort of integration of JJ Ortega Whiteside in this game you know Doug Peterson said they kind of kept him out of that Giants game just as precautionary because of his foot injury um that way he'd be good to go for this game here, but uh, you need whoever is healthy to be all hands on deck. You know, whoever is active and dressed for this game has to be able to play. And because you don't know if this is your last game, you need to have everybody that is available ready to go. That's JJ Ortega Whiteside uh, stepping up to then have, you know, the quote unquote depth at wide receiver where you have Rob Davis who you know made a catch, but it didn't count in uh, the Giants game. You have Deontay Burnett kind of slide into a fourth wide receiver role. You know, somehow, some way, this Eagles team is creating depth on the fly thanks to you know a, a legitimate scouting of a practice squad, and they've had eleven guys active on their active roster from the practice squad this season, which you never want to see come to fruition but the fact that they've been able to get a lot out of their practice squad hat tip to Howie Roseman for putting you know this much into uh, creating depth on the practice squad and being able to hold on to these guys too and not letting other teams get a hold of them yeah and I mean that's um, you know having that strength and depth is important and yeah you know they're obviously not world beaters but they've gotten you to the playoffs 
and that's that's this is the biggest test now for them because in that time they've obviously had to beat on you know the Redskins and the Giants and obviously the Cowboys game was was big and a, and a hard test um, in some ways but you know they haven't had a team of like the Seahawks caliber really so it's it's going to be I think a little more difficult than they've had to face but you know they have the confidence now and I, I think confidence is a huge part in any sport so if you have that and, and again you're at home which I think is is a positive for the Eagles that it's a really strong recipe for for the team to go out and put a good performance. Yeah, and you look at, you bring up Jordan Howard being back this week and uh, Miles Sanders being able to go. That gives you the ability to use a guy like Boston Scott more like a Darren Sproles where you can run him, you can you know kick him out on screen plays, which the Seahawks are absolutely atrocious at defending screen plays. So I would expect Doug Peterson to use the screen game to his advantage. Uh, in this game, whether it's with Boston Scott, Greg Ward, whoever it may be, use the screen game, especially with the injuries that the Seahawks have to the defensive line. You should be able to, you know, get to that next level of the defense. But it, the the running backs, I think, are going to be a huge part of this game, whether it's running the ball, pass catching, or a little bit of both, to really just take it to a Seahawks defense that just has not been great this year. They've been good, but not great. And then it's a matter of Carson Wentz being able to outduel Russell Wilson because the last time these two teams played Russell Wilson just did not have a good game and Carson Wentz was at his all-time low for this season Russell Wilson uh, back in week 11 only threw for 200 yards only targeted Tyler Lockett one time and Tyler Lockett for what it's worth has been terrible since that injury he suffered on Monday Night Football Uh, so it's going to be interesting to see if they actually get him involved in this game but I think the the bigger issue is you have to keep an eye on DK Metcalf. He's really surged and come into his own uh, through the latter stages of this season, and you know he's a guy the Eagles could have had. But I think he is the number one priority that this Eagles team needs to keep an eye on when it comes to the connection that he and Russell Wilson have. Yeah, he's uh, obviously a tremendous deep threat. Someone that you know you wouldn't be shocked to see have you know say a fifty yard touchdown on pretty much any given week. And yeah, he's a, a kind of a, a game breaker, and um, those are the kind of guys that that you want to have in the playoffs. You know, if we had someone like Deshaun Jackson available, that'd be obviously a big plus. And DK Metcalf is in a similar ilk to him, where he can have these big plays that either give you all the momentum or, or take it all away from the other team, and that's that's crucial in the playoffs, right? Um, so yeah, obviously. They have threats. They have uh, challenges you're going to have to deal with. Even someone like Chris Carson is someone that you're going to have to be aware of. Um, Thankfully, he's out. Yeah, that's true, right? Uh, so, so it'll be it'll be the Marshawn Lynch show, which is interesting. And uh, you know, we saw what he did against the 49ers. Obviously, he scored the touchdown, but only ran the ball 12 times for 34 yards, and they took him out of the game in the most important moment of the game when they were on the goal line, and. Uh, caused a, a delay of game penalty to force Marshawn out of the game, which was, you know, almost on brand for Pete Carroll. And in this coaching matchup, I'm glad the Eagles have Doug Peterson over Pete Carroll. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, Pete Carroll's a good coach, but, you know, Doug Peterson has shown himself to be a, a great coach, and especially in clutch situations. So, 
yeah, I, I think you uh, you take that, and he's also been someone that I think always kind of chooses what seems to be at least the the best analytical approach, the the one that's going to give you the best odds, and I, I think that's big. But you know, the Seahawks have, as well have been kind of on this tear this season where they've you know hired analytics people to to help them, and um, that's kind of something now that you're, you're seeing throughout the league. The Ravens as well, a big team getting into the the more you know data driven side of the game, so. Yeah, it, it's going to be uh, an interesting battle head coach-wise. I think there's not a, in my opinion, there's not a whole lot separating Pete Carroll and Doug Peterson. I think they're both great coaches. So, The the other running back the Eagles are going to have to worry about is uh, a rookie who was essentially the fourth-string running back for the Seahawks team coming into the year, and that's Travis Homer. You probably have no idea who he is, but his stats against the 49ers were, you know, very admirable. Ten carries for 62 yards. And then also uh, contribute to five catches for 30 yards. Versatile running back can, you know, catch the ball out of the backfield. He's going to be their lead back. And I think if the Eagles can, you know, just say, hey, welcome to the league type style with the defensive line and shut him down. Marshawn Lynch doesn't necessarily scare me right now. He is two weeks into returning since not playing for an entire season. And I think he's more or less going to be a short yardage goal line type back where Travis Homer is kind of going to be a poor man's Miles Sanders for this Seahawks team. And they are going to, you know, want to throw the ball to their guys, and it's a matter of shutting down Russell Wilson. And I think if you can take away the pass one way or another, uh, confuse Russ like he did in that first matchup during the regular season where he had no idea Malcolm Jenkins was going to be blitzing him as much as they did, Jim Schwartz needs to get creative in this game and and really confuse Russell Wilson and as hard as that is because Russell Wilson is a top five quarterback of you know this generation of NFL football you have to throw some things at him that he's not going to be ready for if you want to win this game yeah and I mean this is um it's it's a great test for the Eagles of course and yeah I I think again you know, you're going to have kind of two very big matchups in the coaching and the quarterbacks because Russell Wilson is, you know, an MVP candidate. He won't win this year, obviously, because of what Lamar Jackson has done. But in most other years, he, he would certainly be one of the absolute front runners. Um, you know, he's the type of player that can absolutely go into a place like Philadelphia and win a game for Seattle. And he's done it before in his career. He's had a great season. That is the guy I think ultimately that has to scare you the most simply because he's proven and he's had a great year and um, he can make uh, any play into a big one. And you saw that a few times even in that game uh, like a month and a half ago. So, yeah, there's I think, you know, it's give and take with a lot of things with this matchup where you, you look back at that game against Seattle already and you think, okay, well, you know, like. That was probably the lowest point of this Eagles season. Um, tons of injuries and, and everyone was kind of slumping. And now you're getting them, you know, where you're you're kind of resurged now and a lot more confidence. Um, and you'd expect things to be better. But Seattle's a team that's been a little hot and cold as well. And, you know, if you get them, though, on a day where they're uh, looking a little more impressive, that's a, a big, big issue. And we all know, because we talked about this the last time these two teams met, the Seahawks figured out some formula on you know success of traveling from the west coast to the east coast and still playing at a high level so you can't take in that traveling you know the the distance from seattle to philadelphia into account as a major factor because every time the seahawks have come east probably since that outdoor super bowl they have figured out a way to you know just make it 
you know, all systems go as a, a regular game that would be taking place in Seattle. So I don't even put that into uh, the factor in this one. The Seahawks are favorites in this game by a point and a half. So the Eagles are home underdogs. And uh, I love that all the Eagles players uh, have resurfaced the hype warm-ups of uh, Eagles-Vikings in 2017. Somebody tweeted out a video saying that we need this type of uh, pregame energy on Sunday. Uh, and, you know, Malcolm Jenkins has come to it. A whole bunch of, of different players are, are like, yeah, we need this energy. Chris Long, Kenyon Barner, who don't even play for the team, uh, said anybody could have had it on this day. So if you're going to the game, be loud. Get, you know, involved with, you know, getting the crowd hyped and everything. And I think the biggest thing for this game is it was uh, brought to the, the Twitterverse yesterday. Our boy Giovanni is going to the game. And we all know what that means. It means birds by a million. So shout out to Gio getting a chance to go to the tailgates and then a chance to go to the game as well. Uh, and I'm most excited. I said this on Wednesday. I'm excited for Carson Wentz's first playoff game. That's This is you know one of the, the notches in his belt that he can kind of uh, you know disperse now and, and say, yeah, I've done that, been there, done that. And uh, I'm excited to see what he's going to be able to do when the lights shine bright. Yeah, and he'll have a chance, I think, to dispel some of uh, the slander that's been thrown his way this year. So, looking forward to that as well. Little bit of uh, baseball news. The Phillies haven't done anything, obviously, uh, but the Nationals continue to get better. They signed reliever Will Harris to a three-year contract. They brought back Estrubal Cabrera, and they signed Starlin Castro, all while rumors of Nolan Arenado being traded are at 50-50. There are reported to be at least half a dozen teams involved, and the three team names that have been brought up are the Texas Rangers, the Nationals, and the Braves. So then there are three teams that haven't been brought up. Obviously, people are like, oh, you're going to have to give up the farm to get Nolan Arenado. Well, if you look at it, we've talked about this, you know, at length, he's got that opt-out, which is going to hinder what the Rockies get back in any sort of trade, and it's a matter of a team who is able to take on that money. I don't think the Nationals will will pull the trigger on it, um, especially now since they've signed a whole bunch of infielders. They brought back Howie Kendrick, as Dribble Cabrera's back, Starlin Castro is back, or you know, with them now. So I don't see that happening. I don't think the Braves. Uh, are going to let Josh Donaldson walk, and if they do, he'll go to the Twins, but I also don't think the Braves are ready to commit that kind of money to somebody like Nolan Arenado. So I think the the real big test here is the Texas Rangers, but if you're the Phillies, I think you need to be involved in this, obviously, uh, but I also don't think it's going to cost you as much as a lot of people think. Yeah, and that's been kind of the uh, the story, not even just with baseball, but well, you've seen it with baseball. Um you know, but uh, across all leagues, really, is that whenever these star players uh, are, are on a trade market, you know, fans always dream up these big scenarios where they get these, you know, huge hauls for these players. And frankly, it's very rare that you get the kind of the value that you want, um, especially, yeah, now where Arenado's almost on the clock, really, where, uh, you know, this time next year, if he's still with the Rockies, you're going to get even less value. Um, 
and that's that's kind of where this all comes from where you want to get the at least the the highest percentage you can you, but you're pretty much always going to get you know a quarter to a dollar for for his type of talent you're, you're never really going to replicate that and you know you might get a high value prospect but that's always 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 a little bit of a crapshoot even if you get someone that you feel really good about you never quite know how they're going to develop and, and if they'll ever reach the potential that you hope that they do and uh, Ken Rosenthal yesterday put out an article in The Athletic saying the signing of Starlin Castro marks the start of a possible plan B for the Nationals if Josh Donaldson signs with another club. And then he followed that up this morning saying, from yesterday, did not include the possibility of trade for Cubs Chris Bryant for the Nationals. To this point, per sources, those talks have gone nowhere, which is a huge development there that the Nationals and, and Cubs have not even seen eye to eye on any potential Chris Bryant trade. Good good news. Um, yeah, Phillies are uh, disappointing because they're refusing to spend the money and um, I, I I pray for John Milton's safety if, if uh, this season goes poorly because it's, uh, it's not going to be a good scene for him. Yeah, you know, we are about a month and a half away from pitchers and catchers and you know the Phillies still need about two starters so yeah when uh Vince Velasquez is going to be one of the four pictures that the official Phillies account tweets when pitchers and catchers report um I'm going to want to smash my face through a window so <laughs> that's great don't worry it won't just be him it'll be uh it'll be a picture of Velasquez Zach Eflin and Nick Pavetta all just you know arm yeah. in arm together uh, that'll really make us want to smash our head through a wall. Uh, plus, Jake Arrieta will be in the background somewhere just, like, staring them down with his bald head. Uh, but I think that's all we got for you guys. We have a, a lot going on today for the network, so make sure you're following everybody on the Twitter machine. Dan is out in Delaware right now covering the Blue Coats, and uh, obviously Zaire Smith is up with the Sixers, so lots of, uh, you know, time to be spread around with a bunch of the guys that don't typically get a lot of playing time. So make sure you're following Dan on Twitter, at Process Potables. That's where he's putting out all of the uh, the updates throughout the game. And you can also follow him on, him on Twitter, at Dan Says That. And then uh, make sure you guys are following us on Twitter, at UndergroundPHI, at Matt Castorina, at KBIZZL311. And uh, you can also follow us on Instagram, same thing, at UndergroundPHI. And then make sure you subscribe to the podcast, leave those five-star ratings and reviews. Let us know what you think about the Sixers right now. If the Eagles are going to win on Sunday, go on a, a nice little run here in the playoffs. Uh, let us know what you thought about Kyle Brandt's speech and uh, what the Phillies should do, in your opinion, because there's a lot of things they should be doing right now, especially with the cheap pitching talent that is available on the market. Uh, and you can also check us out on Spotify, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, the TuneIn app, iHeartRadio, or Radio.com. Wherever you get your podcasts, you can check us out. And uh, I'm going to be heading up to Long Island to cover uh, Wings and Riptide. Uh, so make sure you follow at OTB Laxpod as well on Twitter and Instagram. Got a lot of content going on there. And we just got confirmation, too, uh, earlier this week that we will be back for another season at the Wells Fargo Center to cover the Wings in depth. So uh, looking forward to that as well. We'll be back with you guys on Wednesday for episode number 200. It's absolutely crazy that we have done 200 of these things coming up on Wednesday. If you have rocked with us from the small studio to now, shout out to you. Or if this is your first show, shout out to you as well. 
It it's sure. going to either be uh, fireworks or a very <laughs> depressing 200th episode. Or a little of both. A little bit of both. Uh, so make sure you also check out our friends at Design Tree, dsgntree.com. Search Underground Sports Philadelphia. Use the promo code HOLIDAYS for 20% off your order at checkout. And as always, show brought to you by Main Auto LLC, Ducharms Pro Foot, Security 21, Wainwright Bernhardt Funeral Home, Paul J. Gillespie Incorporated, Bob Novick Auto Mall, Mark Ronchetti CPA LLC, and the Dental Wellness Center of Vineland. This has been Underground Sports Philadelphia, episode number 199. For Matt, I'm Kyle. We are signing off. Go Birds. Oh,